Hello, I'm Chris Hudson and welcome to FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday the 27th of April. After a couple of weeks off, we are back and ready to get stuck into what's been happening in freight and commodity markets. So what news have we seen recently? Well, the EU has weighed a cap on a price paid for Russian oil. Emmanuel Macron won the French presidential election against Le Pen in a tighter race than last time the two met and went head-to-head at the last election. But the re-elected president faces a significant challenge in the parliamentary elections later in June. Finland and Sweden look set to announce simultaneous bids to join NATO next month in a further escalation of the consequences of Russia's barbaric invasion of Ukraine. And a new study has highlighted in stark terms the looming supply gap for clean energy raw materials. According to Eurometo uh, report, Europe will require 35 times more lithium and 7 to 26 times the amount of rare earth metals in 2050 compared with today. It will also need 1.5 million tonnes of copper, that's a 35 increase to today's levels, and 400,000 tonnes of nickel, a 100% increase. So some really big increases there needed to uh, assist the green transition away from oil into more renewable products. But what have we seen week on week in terms of our main products and the indexes that we've seen? So in terms of the dry freight, Cape Size 5TC, we were at 11,127 on the 19th of April. Uh, Yesterday closing 17,991, so a nice increase there week on week. In the Panamaxes, 40C, 26,379, ending 24,937 yesterday. Supermaxes, week on week, 27,955 to 29,858, so a slight increase there. On iron ore, we've seen a drop there. 149.85 was last week, and 138.95 closing last night. Uh, On crude, we've seen a slight fall off there as well, 104.60 yesterday, having been 107.57 the week before. And no surprise there that there's also been a fall in the 0.5% fuel oil, 794 down to 771.70 on the FIS front future, if you're looking at that report. On the tankers, TD3C, that's the very large crew carriers, 47.77 yesterday, had been 51.05. TC2, 213.89 was, now 216.39. And a large increase on the TC5, one was 163.93, now 232.86. On steel, we've seen a slight move off there as well, 1,320. 450 uh, now closing yesterday at 129675. Moving on to the main part of the podcast, let's first have a quick question and answer session with Alex Pereira Nasio, our managing director of strategy here at FIS. So, Alex, welcome back. We're obviously restarting the podcast. Nice to actually see each other again in person. But um, I guess what we would like to do. A little quick fire thing. So you've obviously been in Singapore, you've been a little bit of traveling now again that we're allowed to. So some questions on a wide range of topics on things. In the back of your mind, you've got to have the mastermind music. This is obviously uh, Alex, our MD of strategy, and his special subject is any question I'm about to ask. So, um, Singapore, how are things looking over there? A lot better. It basically opened up again. Life is back to normal, it seems, or it's back, you know, whatever the normal m- means these days. But yeah, it's feeling, the feeling is a lot better. The sentiment's a lot better. There's a lot of positivity around. People are traveling. The flights are heavily booked. SGX week is back. It really feels like uh, the momentum is positive and it's heading in the right direction. So is all the issues that we're going to have, we've experienced over the last two, two and a half years, are they over? I don't know. That's very difficult to say. They, can, they seem to be able to re-emerge in an instant, these problems, but we seem better prepared for them. We seem uh, better prepared to, to mitigate the risk. Um, I wouldn't say they're over, but we seem in a position to handle them uh, in a more positive way. French presidential election, implications for the future of Europe? Yeah, very interesting. So obviously with, with Macron back in power, um, I think that puts an end to any idea of Frexit. 
Um, but as you and I were discussing earlier on the week, the local elections could be um, a real interesting one, as as that will give him that will sort of determine his ability to get legislation through. Um, so it might not be an easy ride for Macron, um, but he is back in the seat, and luckily, uh, what's her face isn't. So are La République en Marche going to retain their parliamentary majority to be able to to do stuff? I don't think so. I don't think he's going to see the same sort of support that he has. That there were, people were very, very vocal, openly vocal, um, and his sort of. I read quite an interesting article which said that whilst he didn't do um, much uh, right for France over the last few years, he also didn't do a lot wrong. But people feel that during, while things have been very hard, he could have done a lot better. So he's been judged quite harshly at the moment um, on, on his lack of his sort of you know trophies. But then he hasn't really got relegated either. So I think he's got a very tough time coming up. He really needs to prove himself. He doesn't seem to be leaving any legacy at the moment in France, which is something the French, you know, like to see. So let's see what he, what he comes up with. Still a relatively young politician, might have some scope to, to develop some things, and let's see. You know, it's, it's against a background of a very different time and very difficult time. Uh, keeping political, Bolsonaro, is his reign over? Probably not, sadly. Um, you know, uh, people, again, are very vocal about how the, the negative things that Bolsonaro has done and, and his politics and his views on religion and, 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 and some sort of, you know, some other sort of right-wing leanings. However, the people who are actually registered to vote in Brazil are quite pro-Bolsonaro. You'll find that the Brazilian diaspora, who are also registered to vote across the world, tend to be quite, uh, quite pro him. There's also potentially, without going a bit too tinfoil hat, potentially an international um, effort to, to keep Bolsonaro in power because the reality is, is that a lot of the rest of South America is increasingly left-leaning um, and Bolsonaro seems to be that sort of conservative outpost in, in an important um, place in South America. Will Burnley stay in the Premier League? Uh, yes. Oh, strong, positive view. John will like that one. What's going to be the commodity to watch the rest of this year? I think if we can classify it as a commodity, and we do here internally, it's going to be, the, well, the buzzword will be carbon and renewable energy. Um, you know, that will be the one to watch. The rest of the, car, the, the energy complex and, and the commodity complex is going to be as important as ever. The supply chain continues to be increasingly important, perhaps one of the most important things that should be on people's radars from an investment perspective. But I think the buzzword will continue to be renewable energy um, as we see security threats in Europe and around the world, we need to reduce our reliance on some of the, the countries that produce um, uh, oil and gas, and, and we, you know, we need to reduce our dependency on them, and, and that's where the renewable energy aspect will come in. Will we still be talking about the rising cost of living and inflation come the end of the year? Yes, very much so, because it's easy column inches for some people. Um, instead of having to look further and deeper into what's causing problems in society, it's just very easy to point a finger at inflation. There's quite a good meme going around at the moment. Um, you know, the, the Fed's printed, and not just the Fed, but everyone's printed endless amounts of cash, and then we point the finger at COVID and Putin and all the rest of it. You know, um, it's just it, it's going to be something that stays uh, in, in the media for a long time now. It's an easy one. It's an easy one to pinpoint. It's slow hanging fruit for the media. And finally, there's a lot of talk about the lack of resources for the green transition. So will we be able to make it work? I think so, but we need to define what is the green transition. We don't actually know. Again, it's, like, it's, it's these buzzwords, these, these, these easy things to say, but what does that actually look like? What is ESG? No one's actually defined ESG. No one's actually defined a green transition. We just talk about it endlessly. Um, and I'm one of those who, who does that, but you know, what does it mean? Once we actually have a clue what, that, what, the, what, we're, you know, what we need to do, we'll have a better idea of how to get there. But 
yeah, I, I don't know what the resources we need are. On the products front, let's first go to Theo, our carbon emissions expert. So Theo, what have we been seeing in the carbon markets recently? Uh, yes, mate. The, uh, the carbon markets, well, on the uh, compulsory side, the EUA market, that's actually been, well, driving up again, uh, close to the 80 euro mark. And funny enough, this, uh, this afternoon when I came back from lunch, I noticed that uh, the European gas price had jumped from 90 euros close yesterday to 120 euros. And uh, I was scrambling to understand why. And then I saw a headline saying that uh, Gazprom is halting um, uh, gas into Poland and Belarus because they're, they're not receiving payments. So obviously, then you go straight to the EUA market and see what's happening there. And the EUA market had just dropped by one euro. And that's all. I think the reason I, mean, the reason I think the EUA market hasn't moved and it's still pretty uh, stick holding on to its levels is because the... I mean, the EUA price has a lot to do with the coal switching to gas formula. So, you know, if, if uh, gas prices are, are low, then obviously you uh, you'd use more more gas, and then you need less uh, carbon um, European allowances. If coal prices are high, you need more. But that divergence has has gone so far now that that switching ability is is has been lost. Has been totally lost. So I think that's why the EUA market has uh, remained, I guess pretty much uh, stable and only dropping one euro whilst the uh, TTF market reacted to that news this morning uh, out of regarding Gazprom and that's why it's, it's gone up. I think also in the, in the longer medium term, I think it, although we, we have this uh, current situation in the Ukraine, uh, the European Union has not uh, shied away from their, their mission to reduce the number of coal plants in Europe. So new new coal plant. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, reducing and uh, and turning off coal plants in Europe and bringing new technologies obviously would probably have a theoretically a uh, bearish sentiment towards EUAs to an extent. But having said that, it just shows that like the market hasn't really not fluctuating too much on any any reactions to to the current situation. Uh, from the voluntary side, it's been quite quiet actually. Seems the volatile market's been uh, slow since February. I think probably due to the weakness in the OTC markets we've seen. I mean, obviously the macroeconomic concerns have led to some price weakness. It's only been marginal though, and uh, but I think more so that sellers have uh, held onto the in inventory and hoping that uh, the um, buyers will come back in again. Volatile carbon market. I was I was on a podcast last night um, listening into that. And uh, they're making a good point that the voluntary car market is, although that, that name voluntary probably needs to be removed uh, shortly because it's not really any longer a voluntary market. With the pledges that uh, companies have made and moves that, uh, that are happening now, we saw an interesting move actually out of India that's saying that they're, they're going to be uh, reforming their, their carbon market very shortly. I think they, they, they want to do it in 12 months. They can do that and implement or bring in the voluntary carbon market to some extent, we've got a billion people there. <laughs> it's going to be a massive change. So uh, I think it's just been a bit of a pause in the uh, in the voluntary mar market. I mean, currently the uh, GEO, which is the reflective carbon uh, prices for the airlines, the December 22 contract is pretty much stable at six US dollars a ton. The NGO, which is a nature-based uh, contract in December 22, is trading at $11. It hasn't really dropped too much. And the December 23 contract, uh, for the uh, nature-based uh, solutions that's on the uh, CME exchange 
it's trading around 15, 1540, I'd say. So the market has been pretty much, I guess, stable in that respect. And I think it's probably fair to say that with everything that's been going on, the focus has been somewhat diverted away from the environmental cause, all the kind of political correspondence and pressure from groups that were prior to what happened with the the kind of barbaric invasion of, of Ukraine and all the things that have then come about since then. But looking at some things in the future just on the kind of um, environmental front and events which could be impinging on that, you've had obviously election now with Emmanuel Macron. You have later on in May, 21st of May, I believe, the Australian election and so many other of these elements. Uh, Brazil as well, as you talk about just then with, with India and the reforming of their system. A lot of these things will have long-term impact on these carbon markets. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, um, it, it's bringing me to a good point. Uh, this week I actually read a, uh, a report by McKinsey, this is sustainability report and the report on decarbonisation. And the report discussed how decarbonisation will reshape the economy, opening new markets and endangering others. And they argue that the moment is now for companies to spot green growth opportunities and move boldly, take that advantage. Um, they give a really good example. They take this, uh, there's a company in Sweden called H2 Green Steel. And they were a Swedish startup manufacturing, I think they're the first manufacturer, uh, green steel. And what they did was they secured contracts with the automotive uh, manufacturers and consumption companies um, for their requirements on green steel. And just recently, they raised $150 million of initial funding. And the, the stakeholders, actually the people that they sold the steel to. So now they've got long-term uh, uh, relationships with clients that are committed to green steel. So the argument in that whole report was that it's not about playing the defensive game, it's actually playing the first movers in this green world, the offensive players are the ones that are su gonna succeed in the future. Take Tesla, for example, yeah? That's a good example as well. I mean, no one, oh, I didn't know who Tesla was a couple of years back. Now everyone knows who Tesla is. Yeah. So it's a very interesting place to be. I guess to dare to coin a new term, we had obviously the traditional industrial revolution. You have the next one, what they call the fourth industrial revolution, in terms of digital, is this the fifth of everyone looking now forward to things basically transitioning all our old industries and others that, as you said, may die uh, and be reformed or renewed or replaced by this completely new environmental economy? Absolutely. I mean, you, you've, we're seeing it in every industry. We're seeing it in the plastic industry. We're seeing it in manufacturing industries. We're seeing it in the steel industry. We're seeing it in, in every industry. You're absolutely right. It is a revolution. With Capes leading the pack this week after the Easter holiday, let's go to Kerry Deal, our Head of Business Development, to find out a bit more on the dry freight market. As you say, as you say, a long overdue positive week on the Capes. Market sentiment improved in the Cape market on the back of healthy iron ore and coal demand, with spot rates moving higher from midweek last week, really, after most market participants returned from the Easter holidays. In terms of iron ore supply, top miners, including Rio Tinto, Vale, and BHP, are aiming to boost production over the coming quarters. Uh, that's in order to maintain their unchanged annual targets, according to their latest operational reports. Last week, iron ore shipments from Australia increased 12.2% week-on-week to 19.2 million tonnes, while shipments from Brazil rose to 6.3 million tonnes, a notable 15% jump week-on-week. 
The physical market continued to improve in the Pacific this week with all three miners having been in the market and the key C5 route, that's West Aussie to China, improving 64 cents to 11 spot 886 on yesterday's BCI. However, the paper has continued to be choppy with market moving back and forth. Overall, I would say sideways in a relatively speaking narrow sort of $3,000 range on the front month. The offer side has been dominated by period hedgers as well. I do think all eyes now will be on China's spreading COVID lockdowns and the potential effects this could have on the market. On the one hand, you, I mean, lower demand seems an obvious outcome here, right? But on the other, increased congestion at Chinese ports could help offset that by delaying discharge from a lot of vessels. May paper this morning was valued at 24875 on the FIS Live platform. That's up $3,000 week on week, again, near the top of that range, I would say, that it's been trading in. Q3 continues to be in a very strong contango, a 34950 value this morning. And one does wonder how sustainable that is, given the situation in China. A choppy week for Panamaxes amid limited activity, and some owners had to lower their offers last week just to cover the holiday period. Both basins remain balanced, with grain and coal shipments uh, remaining flat compared with previous week, and fixtures in the Atlantic gradually slipped downwards as the week progressed. This included East Coast South America, redelivery Far East, falling from 27,500 down to 25,000, and then 24,500, before bouncing back to 26,000 for late April dates. Trips via U.S. Gulf for redelivery Singapore-Japan range were fixed around 40,000. In Asian markets, we continued to see shipments increase from Australia while Indonesia finally came off the boil a bit. Japan, Korea region, and India as the main takers for Australian coal observed another spike in coal imports that's to 4.8 million metric tons and 3.9 million tons respectively from last week. In terms of fixtures, uh, pack rounds were heard at 22,500 before edging up to 25,000. A cargo with a coal stem via East Coast Australia Redelivery India was heard at 30,000. On the other hand, Indonesian routes were less steady, with rates slightly discounted on short trips. Um, we heard uh, one voyage with Redelivery Japan at 30,000 and a, a fairly hefty discount uh, with Redelivery South China at 17,500. With CAPES taking a portion of this coal business now, the Panamaxes will need renewed support from other areas, I think, to see much upward movement. Panamax paper has been relatively negative over the past week, and May is trading 26000 this morning on the FIS Live platform. That's down about $2,000 week on week, whereas Q3 is 27425 value, down about 900 bucks week on week. And then I guess I just wanted to get your perspective on this kind of, of a situation that we've got where... And ultimately, it's a catch-22 for the Chinese government on things because they've been so stringent on their zero COVID policy, yeah. yet now have a situation where they're looking at other countries and going, well, they're out of it. But <laughs> we, we can't accept that our original policy was wrong without actually getting to a stage of that with, with these lockdowns. And that yeah. has such a huge impact on the freight market. And, and, and it's going to continue to. I mean, the container market is right now where most of that impact is focused. That will inevitably spill over to the dry bulk side as well. Um, the extreme port congestion we're seeing off Shanghai looks set to be replicated in other ports around China. And, and the issue here is I don't see a way out of this. Um, you know, the fact is President Xi seems to have put a lot of his credibility on the line in backing the zero COVID policy, and it does not look like he's prepared to drop that anytime soon. We see Beijing about to go into lockdown now. Um, Shanghai still seems unlikely to emerge from these lockdowns for another couple of weeks yet. So, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to see how this has 
an especially happy ending from an economic perspective. I think the only bright point here, like I said, is can that extreme port congestion offset the overall lower demand we're likely to see in China, um, particularly from the iron ore side, I think, as as demand starts to fall for things like the construction industry. In essence, taking shipping out of supply. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, if the congestion removes enough supply from the market, that could still help to boost rates despite the actual falling demand situation in China. Until they sort out what's going to happen next. That's a big question mark. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, this is really what we need to be watching right now and, and trying to analyze just how many ships are caught in the congestion, for example. A key metal for the transition away from oil is obviously cobalt. And we got to hear a little bit more on what's been happening in this really key and exciting market. So we have Joyce Zhang here from a Singapore office who's actually situated now actually in front of me in the London office. So nice to actually put a face to a name on things uh, to talk about this key market. So Joyce, what have we been seeing in the cobalt market recently? Right. So uh, cobalt metal index has always been on the uptrend since the beginning of last year, and it is now standing at $39.93 per pound on April 26, uh, which is up 1.46% from the beginning of this month, and it is also up 18% uh, this year. Well, uh, so far, cobalt uh, futures, we have seen active trades in April, um, finally after what happened with nickel in March, and activities have been picking up. So uh, in total, 444 tons have been traded to date. For the first four months in 2022, um, cobalt futures have traded 53% of the total volumes we have seen in 2021 the whole year. Um, so far, uh, f- over 5,000 tons have been traded since the launch of the contract in December 2020. FIS has been helping our clients uh, facilitating trades on 71% of the total broker volume. The open interests on the cobalt futures um, are definitely very interesting. It broke the 2,000 uh, tons mark in April, and it is now standing at 2,012 tons. Uh, which translates uh, into a notional value of 150 million US dollars. Most liquidities uh, gather around second half of 2022, um, and especially in October and November. But what's more interesting is the recent activities on the front month contracts. So uh, June 22 contract um, was traded 39.15, 39.4, and 39.65 in 34 tons in total yesterday on uh, April 26, um, which is slightly lower than what we are seeing in the index um, right now. Um, and that's brought into the market discussion of a potential turning point at uh, 45 tons, which brought to the market discussion of a potential turning point at $45 per pound in May or June. Well, on market fundamentals, um, logistics have always been an issue um, since the pandemic and shipments of the cobalt raw materials from Africa um, have been delayed. But what's made them worse was the recent flood in South Africa, uh, the major port in Durban, uh, which is the largest port for uh, the cobalt raw materials um, to ship uh, to China. With the prolonged delayed in shipments, the Chinese buyers are likely to receive their raw materials even later, uh, which could um, 
supports the short-term um, prices of the cobalt index. On the demand side, um, the recent lockdowns in Shanghai definitely caused to lots of weakness in the Chinese cobalt metal uh, trading activities. Uh, so we heard from um, our traders have been saying that uh, 70% of the cobalt uh, metal uh, spot trades uh, were shrunk uh, due to the uh, severe uh, lockdowns. So um, Chinese market participants are actually looking at a backwardation uh, starting in uh, about June. One of our key products here at FIS is obviously iron ore and we have James Robson here, our broker at FIS in London office, to talk a little bit about what's been happening in iron ore the last week. So James, what have we seen recently? Uh, yeah, Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, so, yeah, another very volatile week on iron ore. Uh, Friday evening saw a pretty significant sell-off uh, with the T plus one DCE session closing with May at 146. Uh, but following the close, we actually saw a retreat to 141.50 later in the evening, uh, which is obviously highly unusual given the lack of liquidity post the London close. Uh, the route continued on Monday with May retreating to 135.20 by mid-morning London amidst frantic trading. Uh, they did sustain a reasonable recovery in the afternoon to close out 137.80. Uh, prices then rallied pretty consistently through Tuesday to eliminate those losses um, and have largely been anchored to 140 um, ever since really. Um, trading today has largely been pretty uh, yo-yo-y between the 140 and 141 mark. Um, the front of the curve remained pretty firmly in contango as it has been since February, making this one of the longest contango structures uh, since November 2017. Uh, so the sump was largely viewed as a slightly delayed reaction to COVID lockdown scares, uh, disrupting steel supply and hampering steel st stimulus-derived demand, uh, though the recent depreciation seen in Chinese currency also played a part as unhedged mills saw a modest increase in costs on account of forex depreciation. However, in a now familiar pattern, these concerns were addressed in the short term by yet another stimulus pledge to add to the rate cut announced on Easter Monday. Furthermore, we saw modest signs of lockdown easing in the steelmaking hub of Tangshen, uh, which obviously buoyed prices slightly. On the physical front, last week we saw the big players publish their annual production guidance for 2022. Uh, BHP, Vale and Rio Tinto all remained unchanged in their projected annual targets, uh, which came as something of a surprise, uh, given the commitment to limit steel production both at the government and corporate level among some of the, the larger steel, steel mills. Uh, going forward, COVID-related concerns remain as there has been little adjustment to the zero-COVID strategy despite growing political pressure. Uh, and we're also beginning to see some inflationary uh, rumours which could also contribute to volatility going forward. That's it for this week. If you want to stay up to date with everything that is happening in the freight and commodity space, then do sign up to our app, FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. <laughs>